got my space to How did he gonna be? Yeah, it's getting retaliated to me. Are you serious? As easy as I beat him, I could beat him while playing chuckles on the other side. That's how that was. And he's better than us? Are you serious, James? Guys, I stopped locking your ass when you got on that bitch and started crying, you fucking soft ass nigga. Alright, listen. If you, if you want to sort it out, find me. You didn't find me. You could have fought me, you didn't. If you want to find me, here I am. Let's have a fight. Let's do it on the cobbles if you want. Forget boxing. Let's do it outside. Oh, no, no, no. We got to talk to Al. Top rank got some shit going on. Matter of fact, boxing on some well, bullshit. It's top. Man! Yeah, yeah. 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 Grab it again, son. Grab it again. Grab it again. We ain't talking about now. What you talking about? How so it's always tricky to position an, an Eddie Hearn card. But I think what we can all agree on is the Leeds card on Saturday night was, it was, that was the first sign that we're bringing boxing back. You know, I know there's talk about the card not being amazing. I know there's talk about it could have been better, um, some of the camera angles and so on and so forth. But from what I saw on TV and from what I saw on social media, that looked like a reasonably big event. Was it Frotch Gross? Of course it wasn't. But the Leeds fans came out, they showed out, and they said, look, boxing is back. Now, we wait to see what happens with the whole COVID passport thing and then what that does for crowds. But for now, I think that's a good statement of intent. And so big tick in the box for Matchroom for pulling that off. I thought visually they delivered. The camera angles still don't work for me. It's still, still, they jump, they jump between shots a bit too much because sometimes you want to take in the information because boxing is really about taking in and processing information. You know, it's not, it's not the Fast and the Furious 9 where I need loads of jump cuts between scenes. No. But I'm going to be optimistic on this one and here's why. The hardcores can't have it both ways. And they're trying to have it both ways at the moment. So if you track the hardcore discussion, Matchroom Stable's garbage. Eddie Hearn Stable's garbage. Eddie can't do business with Bob. Eddie can't do business with Frank. Eddie can't do business with Al, right? So if they're the constraints that Eddie Hearn is working within, how do you expect him to deliver the cards you want? So the hardcores have to make a choice now. Either the Matchroom Stable's rubbish and therefore we have to accept that the cards are never going to be amazing. Or the matchroom stable's good and Eddie's been massively under-delivering. But they're, they're trying to have it all ways here and I don't think that's the right thing to do. I actually think, considering the constraints that Eddie works within, what we saw on Saturday was as good as a Leeds card is going to get, bearing in mind you need people with local connections sprinkled in with some people who, who can move the meat they can move the social media needle, right? So that's why you had your, your Ebony Bridges and your Connor Benz on there. It just made sense to, to beef up the card. So let's give Eddie a break on this one. Now, that's why I'm not willing to criticize this card because either he's got the constraints that we can see he's got and therefore we accept that he's going to struggle and this is the best he can do. In that, in that case, tip your hat off to him because we've got this three weeks time we've got Joshua versus Usyk which people say ah it's not a great fight but we were saying what would Joshua do against Usyk so it's another name he needs to tick off the list he also needed to tick off Luis Ortiz and he needed to tick off Wilder you know, but that's another discussion for another time 
And then after that, we've got Fowler versus Smith. Now, people will say, that's not a great fight. That's a decent card. That's three light middleweight fights that should all be entertaining. Sprinkled in with an Olympian making his debut and so forth. That's a solid card. For a non-pay-per-view show, that's a solid card. Now, is it $7.99 worthy a month? Mm. That depends on whether you've got Sky Sports and BT Sports as well. If you don't have any sports channels and you buy the zone for $7.99, you take that. You get to watch decent fights without leaving your house. But if you've got all the other packages, then this is just an inconvenience, right? We can all agree on that. But longer term, where does Eddie go? Because if you look at his stable, his stable gets older. Like, the guys he comes to rely on are getting older. Warrington's over 30. Galahad's over 30. Um, Fowler must be hitting 30 soon. Cody won't be far away. Watts, he's not far away. So a lot of these guys are now cresting the wave, and we're not seeing what's coming through behind. You know, I know there's the Hopi Price who was on, on the Saturday card. Um, they're trying it with Campbell Hatton. Connor Ben's kind of coming into that world picture now, quite deservedly so. But there's still that thing where Eddie's going to have to manage his own decline in terms of his stable. But there's also the wider boxing decline where the average age of the fan is getting older and there's no new blood coming in from what, from what the data would tell us. But let's just zero in on the fight for a second because, you know, social media went crazy in those first two rounds of Warrington versus Mauricio Lara. So in those two rounds, what did I see? Now, people, people always ask me, you know, what adjustments do you think Warrington made and so forth? I actually go back to the previous episode I made after the, the Warrington-Lara 1 fight. And I said, Josh wasn't that far off his normal form. You know, he'd been so used to bombing people out that I think he got overconfident with this defense. But then if you look at it objectively, Josh has never had a, a great defense. His, his attacking volume was always his best form of defense. And against Lara, Lara posed a completely different problem because Lara said, I can punch with you. So yeah, you can throw four and five punch combos, but while doing that, you're going to get two very hard shots from me. And I don't think you can take those for 12 rounds. So what you saw with Josh was, they say he had a high guard. He had a Muay Thai guard, if you notice, because, and I don't know if it's a mobility issue, he couldn't bring his elbows close together. So he was quite square on with his arms up, presenting a target so I don't know what he was actually trying to defend out of interest I, I, it was almost as if he did that to make himself feel confident and so all he'd do is in a really basic way like it was it's like you see this when amateurs are learning to box right there's a drill you do where you have your hands up and you circle to the right and sometimes you don't circle to the left you circle to the right and then you evolve it to go step step jab step step jabs you know it was all very basic stuff, almost as if there was no science applied to how Josh is going to win. It's just, if you keep your hands up, he can't knock you out. And then you're just going to have loads of little raiding attacks where you rush in, let four shots go, rush out again. I don't know who thought that was going to work. Because if you watch the, the, the two rounds that happened, actually all Lara was doing was just working out where he could catch Josh. And so from Team Warrington, the, the biggest mistake they made was to go, oh, well, if we circle right, we escape the right hand, not realizing that 
I mean, Mexico is left hook and left uppercut country. So you're walking straight into that. So, the, so I, I'm watching the fight. I'm like, if this is a tactical plan, Lara will stop him again. And just from people who were at the event who have messaged me, Lara's power seems to be the truth at that weight. So, so I'm watching the, watching the first round and people are telling me that Warrington did well. He did well with one right hand. In fact, in the whole fight, as long as it lasted, that was the only punch that meant anything from, from Warrington. But Lara was catching him. Even after that shot, Lara was catching him. And what Lara was doing was he was closing down the escape routes. And you could see he was starting to warm his left hook up and say, actually, no, no, I quite like you going to the right because you're going to eat one of these left hooks at some point. And if you try going the other way, I'm going to hook around your guard. And he did that a couple of times. So I don't believe Warrington was going to win that fight. I think he was going to get badly hurt again as the fight had evolved. I think rounds, for me, rounds five, six, and seven are always the key rounds because they tell you who's really got the the drive to win. I thought Lara was just playing it cool for those first two rounds. Now, if you want to zero in on the, the head clash and what caused it, that defensive setup Josh Warrington had is what caused it. When you've got that, your hands tight to your head like that, what you're basically saying is, I'm nervous of throwing this jab. Because normally you jab your way in, right? As your feet move forward, your jab comes with you, which has the effect of occupying your opponent. That means you can steal space. But Warrington knew that Lara can punch with him. So he knew that if he was going to come in like that, there might be a left hook or a left uppercut waiting for him. So what Josh would do is almost faint and then just bull rush his way in and then bring his head up and start working. And that's dangerous. And as soon as that happened, the ref should have clamped down it and said, you can't rush in with your head. It's boxing. I mean, this isn't, it's not American football. Like Warrington was running in like a nose tackle. And that didn't make any sense to me. Now, and if that was all part of the tactical plan of making it rough in there, it's backfired on Josh because now that's a no contest. Is there going to be a third fight? Maybe, but Warrington's going to be what? 32, 33. I don't know how old he is now. Lara's going to be 23, getting better and stronger and more intelligent in how he, how he boxes. So I don't see on what basis Josh Warrington can beat Mauricio Lara. If I'm Josh Warrington, I'm drawing a line under this and saying, do you know what? I escaped with a, a modicum of dignity from this exchange. And I'm going to just live off that and say, yeah, I could have won that second fight if it hadn't been stopped. I wouldn't want to try and find out for myself because I think he'll get very badly hurt. If I'm Josh Warrington right now, I'm looking at the Galahad fight, maybe the Lee Wood fight, and I'm saying, right, that's me. You know, a couple of those fights at Ellen Road, and I'm done. But the one thing I did want to say is, whoever found Mauricio Lara and brought him to Eddie Hearn, fair play to you. It's always nice when you, you discover someone who wasn't on the radar. You know, whether it's... Uh, a young 22-year-old from Mexico, a 23-year-old from Kazakhstan or Azerbaijan. Whenever you capture those, those unknowns and you bring them and they give a good account of themselves, it's always good to see. So if Hearn now has someone he can throw in to that 126-pound mix, that featherweight mix, fair play to him. Because that's the job of a promoter, right? Find the next big thing, help him. And 
hopefully we see Lara again because what you know with Lara is you're going to get a fight. Do I want to see him against Galahad? No, because Galahad won't oblige. I think Lee Wood might. But people will be scared at 126. Maybe you take Lara to America. There's money in that one, right? So maybe that's Eddie's in to fighting guys like Gary Russell Jr. But you know, I'm hypothesizing at the moment. What we'd like to see ultimately is Lara given the opportunity that his performances are deserved because every time he's shown up hungry to fight and he deserves that opportunity now. So no, I'm definitely pro Lara. In terms of the rest of the card, I have no idea who Giovanni Strafon is and quite frankly, I don't care. I'm not going to be a guy that says what an amazing performance by Maxi Hughes. Quite frankly, I'm not that bothered about Maxi Hughes. How Team DeZone were just gushing about the performance as if this guy had done the rope-a-dope. I'm like, mate, you're against someone who was fighting debutants midway through his career. You know, we're getting excited because this guy beat James Tennyson. Who the hell is James Tennyson anyway? You know, whether that sounds disrespectful or not isn't the point. It's just, I'm tired of being told who is good when I can see with my own eyes none of these guys are any good. You know, you, do, you don't have these latter career renaissances unless someone's pulling the strings behind the scenes. You know, Bell, you was there just towing the company line. And this is what makes the DAZN coverage terrible. We just feel like it's Michael Cole and Taz, essentially, from the WWE. You know, they, they get messages fed into their earpiece and they make sure they hit their marks. You know, which also brings me on to the commentary, which I think is atrocious. You know, whenever people want to say Andy Lee's vocabulary stretches to about 67 words, max. Mike Costello. I was going to say Mike Costello sounds like your granddad commentating, but he doesn't because Jim Watt was quite good for a granddad commentating. Mike Costello sounds like, remember when you did RE at school and you had that really sanctimonious RE teacher? They always seem to be quite sanctimonious. And they always talked in that really dry way that you, you just couldn't get into. And Mike Costello's like that. You imagine, I imagine in another life, Mike Costello's an RE teacher somewhere. And he's just telling people about, you should honor and obey your husband. Yes, you should. But I don't know, but side question, anyone want to answer this? Who's doing the five live podcast with Steve Bunce now? Please don't tell me he's there on his own because that'll be terrible. So then there was Katie Taylor. Um, I'm done watching Katie Taylor. And we're, what, five years into this Katie Taylor experiment? And they still have to remind us that she's this Olympian and she's maybe the greatest female boxer of all time. Oh, for goodness sake. How many gifts has she had in her career? Like, And against really mediocre people. She gets gifts because I don't even know why. Maybe it's because she's Katie Taylor. People just assume she's better than she is. But she gets these gift decisions. But she hasn't really taken the sport forward. Right. And I've said this before. She strikes me as being quite self-serving. So Katie Taylor doesn't appear unless there's a fight. Much like Anthony Joshua. Doesn't appear unless there's a fight. Um, I'm not seeing Joshua show up at Rumble's Boxing Academy. I'm not seeing Joshua show up at, I don't know, Rotunda. I don't see Katie Taylor showing up at Glasnevin. I don't see her showing up at... Uh, Monkstown, you know, they're not giving back. So it's hard for me to acknowledge their greatness because I'm like, what do you give back? Nothing. 
So if we look at your achievements, well, you weren't a double Olympic gold medalist for a start, so Clarissa Shields is above you. Maybe Nicola Adams does too, in terms of achievements and being able to take female boxing over the top. Now people say, but look at what she's done as a pro. And I'm like, really? Really? When it came down to people who were as good as Katie Taylor, she lost to Mira Potkinen, whatever her name is. Sorry, Riku. Apologies for that. But I'm not sold on Katie Taylor. I think she's a bit of a hoax. I've thought Kelly Harrington's better than Katie Taylor for the last five years. So for me, that was an experiment to try and take women's boxing over the top. And this is how badly Katie Taylor failed at that. They had to dig up someone like an Ebony Bridges. To take women's boxing to that next level, they've had to dig up Ebony Bridges. And I'll never criticize Ebony Bridges for anything because she understands the concept and the, the psychology of the grift. She's been grifting her whole boxing career. And now that grift's paying off, she's grifting on top of the grift. And I just long may it continue. If she gets the Ellie Scottney fight, cool. You know, let Ellie scramble her brains for a bit. I'd quite like to see that, actually. But I can't disrespect the grift. I mean, Ebony took nothing and made something. Something that boxers seem to struggle to do. So fair play to Ebony Bridges. Good luck to her and may her success continue. But Ebony Bridges is the reference point you need to understand how bad this generation of female boxers have been in elevating the sport. We looked at Katie Taylor to carry that ball, dropped it. Looked at Savannah Marshall to carry that ball. Hasn't really had a chance to carry it. Clarissa Shields has blown hot and cold. I think she's probably done the best at it. Um, and Natasha Jonas as well. I don't think she gets the credit she deserves for making us respect female boxing. Because Natasha does it all. Like She comes and she commentates. She's actively involved in a community. All these sorts of things. She's a mentor. So fair play to Natasha Jonas. Like When people say to me, who makes women female boxing real to you I talk about people like Natasha Jonas and Ellie Scottney and so forth because they're the ones really putting it in so no 100% kudos to Ebony Bridges for grafting and let's see what she can do next because she's going to run out of set up opponents at some point she's going to have to fight someone who can really crack um for Connor Ben happy for Connor uh it's easy for people to hate, and this is what I mean about the hardcores. The hardcores are just on hate mode 100% of the time. If you go back to early in Connor's career, and I said this is going to be our first reality TV boxing star, because he came about right when that kind of Towie and boxing thing was coming together, like kind of the O'Hara Davis at Yard era, where they were leveraging that exposure to grow their own brands. And Connor came out of that and people said, oh, mate, what fights did he have in Australia? And I had to do some due diligence and I had confirmation that he did fight in Australia. The view was he was raw, not really that good, but he had a warrior spirit. Was, you know, that was the general consensus, so fair play. And to see where he's headed, you can't knock that. The Granados win's a good win because it puts him in that fringe world title picture now. It legitimizes his fringe world title credentials. So next you find someone else. Now, I don't want it to be a Victor Ortiz or Robert Guerrero. I don't want him to keep fighting old guys. I want him to fight someone prime, man. Put him in with someone who we can class as his peer now. It's time. Can someone confirm who's had more fights, Jerome Ennis or Conor Ben? I don't think there's much in it between those two. 
but you wouldn't put them in a fight together because Ennis would play with him. There's a point in that fight where Con- Conor Ben threw a left hook, I swear it was a left hook, and just spun 360 degrees. And I was like, at this level, you can't load up anymore. You've got to be scientific with your punches. But I'll, I think I'll always be a Conor Ben fan simply because you know, he's not coming to, to nick rounds or anything like that. He's coming to, to detonate on people. And if they keep matching him right, we're going to keep getting good performances. So no, kudos to Connor. Um, onwards and upwards for him. And I know the hardcores will go, I can't believe you said that. But you've got to understand where he came from. They've had to manufacture a career from scratch. And in terms of that, he's been well managed. He's been well looked after. And in turn, he's done wonders for elevating the matchroom brand too. Hope you price Jack Basin. Well done to all those guys, onwards and upwards. Not interested until I need to be interested in them. You know, they're still going through that kind of pointless fight phase, you know. Um, in terms of Hopi Price, good luck to him. Yeah, this Caldwell thing that Porky's initiated, I don't know what that's going to mean for him. And I know, you know, Porky's got the bit between his teeth on this one. And I'm going to touch on it briefly, but I'm going to be very careful because I don't want to step on any landmines here. David Caldwell has a reputation in a lot of circles in boxing for being a bit of a dick. Whether it's him owing money, whether it's him shagging people's wives, whether it's him freeloading and sponging off people in, in prior years, there are all of these things that follow Dave Caldwell everywhere. And Dave doesn't really go out locally because he has problems with people that he refuses to address. He runs away from his issues. So what, what I see Porky doing, now I don't know the, the veracity of the claims, I don't. I know the people involved and they're of good character. They're not people who would lie from what I understand. I may be wrong. I hold my hands up for that. But they're not people who would lie. Now, I'm not going to go so far as to say that Dave's done anything illegal, but this is a boxing-related topic. So it is, look, Dave, what was going on here? We just want you to clear it up and say, you know what? I was a young coach back then, young, hard-charging. I was brutal. I've learned and evolved as I got older. Whatever he has to say, let him say that. But what I don't like is this idea that if you ignore someone like a Porky long enough, they go away. Because that's what's plagued boxing for a long time. And we're going to touch on the doping thing in a second, right? But it's that kind of oath of omerta that kills boxing. And that's why it doesn't make any money. There's zero transparency in the sport. Any chance, any charlatan, any clown with a couple of connections in the sport, can make a living. In no other sport where hundreds of millions of pounds are traded would this be allowed to happen. Yet in boxing, it's commonplace. In fact, it's considered desirable. Why? Because where there are grey areas, there's always money. But I'm going to leave Porky to stick it to Caldwell as in how he chooses. All I'll say is Caldwell has to answer some questions. I think everyone can agree on that. And if you haven't caught the Porky videos, please do. Porky's Corner on YouTube. They're worth a listen. I think, like I keep saying, Russ is elevating his craft on a regular basis. So kudos to him. And I wish him all the best. I always will do. So I'm happy to support the channel. I think he does a lot of the right things for the sport. It's probably a good time to touch on the Oscar Valdez situation. Because it's... I, it tells you everything about where the sport of boxing is headed, right? 
So Oscar Valdez gets gets found, you know, his well, his sample gets found to contain a dietary supplement that they used to treat obesity. Yeah, you know, maybe it was slim fast, no idea. But it's it's on the banned list. But it's on the banned list in competition or out of competition. So I had to I had to check what is the definition of in competition? Apparently. You're in competition from midnight on the day of the fight until you've submitted your urine sample. So everything up until that point is out of competition. Absolutely crazy. So Valdez isn't guilty on a technicality, but the underlying intent was there, right? To, to glean an advantage through the consumption of a substance that people know is definitely in a gray area. And it doesn't do the Canelo team any good, but I don't think they care because they're not the only ones at it. Now, I'm not going to talk endlessly about drugs and boxing. You already know my views on that. But it goes to show that this grey area is what boxing loves. There shouldn't be an in or out of competition. When you're a professional boxer, you should maintain minimum standards year round. And that means you shouldn't be taking stuff that's bad for you. Now, if we had the randomised year round testing, we wouldn't have these problems but who no one wants to spend the money on it. And until it's mandated by governments, I don't think they will. I, I'm in favour of biological passports, to be honest with you. And to make it work, I'd shrink the pool of available professional boxers, definitely in the UK, to no more than 200, 220. There are far too many people with boxing licences in this country. There are far too many people who aren't that good and have been granted licences. And so to close the gap, they may decide to take substances they shouldn't take. I think if you keep the, the talent pool relatively small, I don't think you reduce the incentive, but you increase the ability to test everybody. So you make it harder to cheat. But I don't think we'll see that, and that's the unfortunate thing. As for Oscar Valdez fighting, he was always going to fight. He could have had cocaine in his system. He could have had wind stroll in his system. He was always going to fight because the other guy's got a family to feed. He's got a team that need to eat off him. So he's under pressure that no other sport, no other sportsman's under that kind of pressure because so many people depend on you actually fighting to make your money. You ever want to know how dark and dirty a sport it is? Just think about that. You are going to the ring knowing that you're in there with a drug cheat. So kudos to Caleb Plant for really letting rip. Now, it's easier to let rip when the big contract's signed and, you know, First match, rematch, you got your money set. It's also good for Andre Ward to have his say because I think you know, he's our elder statesman in boxing now. But I thought Caleb Plant was really forceful and he was letting people know, listen, everyone's at it, but no one wants to do anything about it. So what do you do? Honestly, I don't know. I, I, I don't think you can't have a free-for-all because that puts people's health at risk. And then I say, well, how do you then disincentivize it I don't know you can't make him do 20 rounds because then they'll just take more EPL it's, I don't know how you fix this I really don't know one of the things I did find interesting was how quickly British boxing in general was to condemn Oscar Valdez they were straight in with the knives straight in with the, the burning crosses and everything right None of that energy was there when it happened to Dillian. And none of that energy was there 
when it happened to Billy Joe. They're all quick with the excuses or quick with the let the process play out. And even now, none of these guys get criticized. You know, no one gets outed, even though we kind of pretty much know who was taking what. And they all know. And it comes down to this cultural notion that as Brits, we never believe we cheat. We believe we're the, the bastions of fair play and sticking to the rules, right? That's what we do. It's, it's just not cricket. You know, we do all of that. And we point to foreigners, especially those from Latin America. You know, that Maradona thing hasn't gone away. We point to them and we say they're always cheating. They're always at something. It's in their culture to cheat. That's how we look at it. And so when we cheat in this country, we, we have that cognitive dissonance where we view it as something different. Oh, it had to be contamination. It had to be uncastrated bore meat. Remember, we had two people related to each other pop for Nandrolone. Now, one of the things Nandrolone does is it gives you a different sounding voice. Just remember that. You'll see it amongst women who've taken Nandrolone. Their voices have a bit of a, a raspiness to them that they didn't have before. That's what I want to say. And people conveniently forget that. They built up their movements called <coughs> power and they were led by this person and that person and they were proclaiming that this person was the greatest boxer of all time and all of this and not one of them wanted to acknowledge that this guy had failed for Nandrolone. You don't fail on Nandrolone by accident. You don't then revoke your British license so you can train here unchecked by accident. Until we as a country get real about our own problem, we're nobody to be criticizing Oscar Valdez. Because on the scale of drug cheating in this country, Oscar Valdez is a small fry. But the last thing I want to touch on is, it's going to be Eddie Hearn related. And it's how do you question Eddie Hearn at these events? Because I think we've seen everyone try something, right? So you've got the classic IFL, you know, tongue in rectum type interview. And it, it achieves a purpose. It allows Eddie to get his talking points off. And I understand why he's got to have that because he needs a, a mouthpiece into the world that he controls so he can get his messages across because that's what everyone needs. I understand that. But now we're seeing him engage with wider media outlets. So I always forget who did what. Like, was it British Boxing News TV or whoever it was? Sorry if I got your name wrong, but... There was an interview there, it was about 17 minutes long. Quite confrontational, actually, where they got into points about arbitration and the guy's like, I'm doing a master's in law. And I watched that. And I, I didn't feel comfortable with that because it's like, mate, you've come to take down Eddie Hearn. I don't think you've come to check him on his nonsense. You've just come to take him down. And I don't agree with that. I think you should check him on his nonsense. And I've said this to Coogan before. You're sat in a room with him. He says something ridiculous. Immediately check him on it and say, no, you can't say that, man. That's, that's ridiculous. But people are afraid to do that. So what happens is you build up this thing that says, I'm going to get more views. I'm going to get the hardcore's love by trying to take Hearn down. Leave that to the Americans. We're not going to do that. Like if, they, if there was a silver bullet to bring Eddie Hearn down, it would have been found by now. There isn't. All you can do is check him on his nonsense. And you do it repeatedly enough you disincentivize him from talking nonsense. I thought the pep talk guys did a good job with him. And that, was a, that was quite a nice interview. So shouts out to the pep talk guys, man. They've stuck at it for, for all these years. I, 
I think they should do better numbers and I wish more fans engaged with them. I think they do better numbers because like Frankie and all the guys, they're nice guys and Shaz are all really good people. You know, sometimes, you know, you want them to have a bit of an edge, but they want to walk that middle line. And I think in this kind of podcast and broadcast world, you've got to have the spectrum. You've got to have the Porky Russes on one side, the Cougars on the other, and then maybe some guys like like Pep Talk that kind of walk it down the middle. Why not? That, that's what I like. But I'm not a fan of Eddie Hearn takedowns. I'm not a fan of those sort of takedowns in general, unless there's a case to answer. And I just felt that they were just kind of picking at the edges. There are real things we could really pull Hearn about and you know, like stop calling Anthony Joshua great when you had Lewis Ortiz and kept him away from Joshua. You know what I mean? Like you've done nothing to remove the question marks around Joshua's career and as a promoter, that was your job. There are all sorts of things you can discuss with Hearn. You don't have to take him down. Like if it's, you know, I always think about it and say, if I had to have Eddie Hearn on my show, what would I do? It'd have to be two hours minimum. You know what I mean, he brings his favorite drink, I bring my favorite drink. We just sit down, drink and talk. And when he says something dumb, I'll pull him up on it right there and then. You know I mean, just as simple as that. And then what he'll know is, you know, okay, I'll go be on my game here with this guy. But he won't feel like he's getting taken down. So it's just a lesson for people, man. No one wants to feel like they're there to be taken down. It doesn't work for you long term. You know, know when to check someone on their nonsense and know when to to let them have their talking points because it's a, it's a delicate balance you have to strike. And on that note, I'm going to sign off now and wish everyone a, a good, strong start to the week. And look, we've got to find a way to make boxing better. Don't know when, don't know how, but we've got to do it. Ah, P.S. If anyone knows any really good marketing people, yeah, hit me up, please, because I need, I've got a few questions I need to answer. I need answers for, I should say. All right, guys, signing off for now. You guys take care. Goodbye. good husband you know what i mean what you know what I mean? i'm just a man out here trying to enjoy my I, I was born poor i ain't never had nothing man. i don't know how to act all right but the real thing is i'm just i'm just here to be me i don't care what uh, you, you think know what i am or who, or who who anyone thinks i am um at this stage of my life but um yeah i'm a pretty much of a tyrant titan yeah that's who i am